there! You're listening to the Collective Church Podcast, recorded live at Collective Church in Roanoke, Texas, with co-lead pastors Courtney Clark and Megan Lawton. Enjoy the sermon! Uh, God, thank you that we're able to come here um, this week, and um, thank you for the people that showed up, even though it's daylight savings time and spring break, and um, that we're all flexible and can actually start on time for once. Uh, <laughs> just be with us this morning um, and as we go out into our week in your name, amen. So we're in our second part of our four-part series on Luke. Um, titled, our series is titled Luke on Women. Uh, it's not very creative because I'm not good at titles, but that's what it's about. It's about Luke's take on women and um, how he approaches women a little differently than really the rest of the Bible. And the works, so last week we kind of dove into the history of who Luke is. Um, and the works that we attribute to him. So Luke and Acts, we attribute to the creator, who we named Luke um, just based off of kind of like piecing things together, but we don't really know for sure um, that Luke was the writer. That's just kind of what we've gone with throughout history, uh, just based off of the little details that we have. Um, So Luke is concerned with the Christian church's relationship with the Roman Empire. Um, because the relation, uh, because the Christian Church essentially was started by a revolutionist, um, he's kind of going in as a way to paint the Christian religion as valid and separate from Judaism, um, but also saying like we're not trying to th- overthrow the Roman Empire. Like the empire is good, the church is good, and can we find a way to kind of coexist peacefully together? And um, he paints the Roman Empire as sympathetic to the Christian movement um, to kind of ease hesitations on both sides um, and their view towards each other. And so that's kind of his primary focus. Um, And he writes as a Roman historian, mostly. He includes a lot of different writing styles, but that is his primary focus um, is to write a historical account of the life of Jesus in the book of Luke. And then the book of Acts is the church's response to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, so I, one thing that's important to remember is that Luke was not actually an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. So all of his work through the book of Luke was written um, through investigative journalism. Interviews that he did with people that were alive during Jesus' time, he used Mark um, a lot to kind of write some of the stories that he has, um, and he just kind of pieced things together. It's very beautifully written, and there is a lot of detail included for someone who didn't actually live it. Um, It's very impressive if you kind of step back and view it through that lens. Um, Historians or theologians kind of disagree on if Luke was pro-woman or not. Uh, There's arguments that are good on both sides, really, and I don't want to tell you which one to buy into. Um, Obviously, I think it's you kind of know where I buy into because I'm up here um, doing this, but um, (laughs) you decide for yourself where you stand. But there's arguments on both sides, like I said, and I think it's important to notice that Luke was Roman, so his view on women was a little different than the Jewish view on women. Um, Just culturally, they were more accepted. They had more social clout, Um, not necessarily economic status, but they just socially were more included in conversation. And um, a lot of theologians argue that that's why Luke included women, just because that was what Roman culture did, whereas Palestinian or Jewish culture really didn't do that. But one thing we can know for sure is that the book of Luke definitely does include stories of women that we don't find anywhere else in the Bible. Um, And then there are many more stories of women than we find in any of the other gospels. And 
um, he continues to place women in positions of power and in leadership within the life of Jesus, um, specifically at the very beginning, but throughout the life of Jesus, we see women in important positions. And a lot of the other gospels kind of uh, either allude to that or leave it out entirely, but don't ever specifically say um, or place women in positions of power. And so last week, we dove headfirst into the first chapter of Luke, and we talked about Elizabeth and how um, his including her in the story sends a really powerful message that kind of foreshadows the life that Jesus goes on to live, a life of inclusion, of shifting culture, of fighting power imbalances, of flipping tables, in a sense, um, literally, sometimes, <laughs> of the cultural expectation that women are submissive to their husbands, um, and that's really their only position, their only place in the world. And Elizabeth is fighting, is faithful. Um, she continues to believe for a baby when everyone around her, even her husband, is like, forget about it, just move on, you're old, you can't have a baby. Um, and then we've learned that she does end up becoming pregnant, and she has this baby that we now call John the Baptist, and she remained faithful through the whole thing. And then we find out through the middle of the story, that she is the first person to be filled with the Holy Spirit, um, which is a theme we see a lot throughout the book of Luke's, Luke and Acts, which is just an expression as a way to show an ushering in of a new age, of um, a time when previously to experience the presence or the glory of God, you had to enter in the temple and there were a lot of rituals you had to go through. And now Luke is saying something new is coming where we can experience the presence of God, the glory of God at all times, whenever we want or may need it. And the, each step of the way, Luke gives Elizabeth power and credibility. Um, he's creating her as a person to be respected, revered, and loved. So one thing we also talked about last week is that Luke writes in parallels where he puts similar stories in pairs. And oftentimes these pairs are written where there's a story with a male character as a main character and then a female as a main character in the next or in one of the parallels. And the first parallel that we see is in when the messenger appears to Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, and tells him that his wife will conceive and have a baby. And the same messenger, named, who we find out is named Gabriel, appears to Mary and tells her that she's going to be pregnant. So though the stories are very different um, because just the people are different, um, the circumstances are a little different, there are a lot of similarities, obviously, um, because they're parallels. Both stories are stories of God's initiative and grace and power. Power as a means to, of what is happening in the world, of the changing of everything with the baby of Jesus. Um, and both Jesus and John go on to have very powerful, um, I would say, social revolutions. And Luke is very intentional about painting them both as important um, to the changing of culture and the changing of the tides. Um, but he is very prominent in recognizing that Jesus is the focal point of the story here. Um, but I do want to say that he, both babies are important. And grace and that God is using the people that the world has forgotten, a uh, pregnant, unmarried woman and an old, barren woman. And there's so much grace just in those two stories. Both stories follow a similar pattern. Um, the characters are introduced, an angel appears, um, there, uh, the character responds with fear, the angel delivers good news, the character responds with doubt, there's a sign that's been given, and then the character responds, and then the angel leaves. They both kind of follow that same pattern. Both messages obviously are about um, a baby <laughs> being born or being conceived, but the primary difference here is that the first story is delivered to Zechariah, an old man 
um, married to a barren woman, and the second is delivered to a young woman who is unmarried. Each character responds to the question. So Zachariah says in verse one, or chapter 1, 18, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Mary, we find her question in chapter 1, verse 34. It says, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. Yet, Zachariah, for his question, he was struck mute, and Mary goes on to be painted as faithful and obedient. They both had questions. And Zachariah's kind of looking like the bad guy here a little bit. Last week, um, we looked at the juxtaposition of his being mute um, in the presence of God and his wife's response to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to prophesy and kind of how that difference. And now we're seeing that Mary had questions and she's considered obedient and Zachariah has questions and he's not allowed to talk. <laughs> it's kind of painting Zachariah not in a good light. And I, I do want to note that Zachariah is redeemed after the baby John is born. Zachariah is given his own prophetic um, praise psalm. It essentially is kind of what it is. Um, he's redeemed in the end. Um, so I don't think God, Jay, or Luke is putting like women are better than men here. I think it's just kind of he's painting a picture. He's trying to show um, that the women also have power in the story um, without giving the man a voice right away. And who knows if this even actually happened. Um, again, Luke is intentional about making sure that his accounts are history, um, historical, but he also tells a story in a way that is entertaining and engaging with the reader. Um, so there's some things that he may have added just for drama. Uh, this might be one of those things. We don't really know. We weren't there. <laughs> but throughout chapters 1 and 2 in the book of Luke, Mary is painted as favored by God. She's thoughtful. She's obedient. She believes. She worships. And she's really heavily devoted to Jewish law. And we see that throughout all of the information that we have from her. And Luke even goes on later to name her as one of the company of believers. Uh, we see in Acts 1.14. He clearly thought very highly of her. Um, she... He points out um, that Mary was chosen. Um, he paints her beautifully and powerfully. He obviously cared a great deal about her and Elizabeth. But I do want to note that Mary wasn't chosen because of these qualities. Uh, we never know why Mary was chosen. Uh, we just know that she exudes these qualities because of her response. Um, Luke is saying that her response to being chosen um, is what gives her these qualities, right? Not she was chosen because of this. There was no qualifications, I guess, for why Mary was chosen. We'll never know. Um, so we walk through the first part of what's called the visitation, which is a conversation between Elizabeth and Mary after they both find out that they're gonna have a baby. And we read last week, Elizabeth's praise to Mary. Um, today we're gonna look at Mary's response. Elizabeth, um, to Elizabeth's encouragement. And Mary breaks out into a song a song of praise, of hope, of excitement, and she's realizing that what the messenger has said is true, that Elizabeth is pregnant, that she is pregnant, and they're facing something that is much, much larger than themselves. So let's take a look at Luke 1, 46 or 55. It should be in your bulletin if you want to read along. So it says, My soul proclaim, proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his humble servant. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He's shown the strength of his arm. He's scattered the proud in their conceit. He's cast down the mighty 
from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He's come to the help of his servant Israel for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Glory to the Father and to the Son and the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and will forever be. Amen and hallelujah. And so this song is commonly referred to as the Magnificat. Um, we talked about this song, uh, this song specifically at Christmas. Um, it's prophetic in nature. She's proclaiming the mission that Jesus will go on to live. She's proclaiming that God is bringing peace and justice and hope for the oppressed, the marginalized, the poor. And this song holds a lot of powerful language. And Pates Mary has not just a body who housed a baby for nine months, but as powerfully involved in the story um, as someone who was determined, who knew what she was signing up for, who knew what it was like to live oppressed and forgotten by the world and powerless, who wanted something different for her family and was doing everything she could, including raising a baby that would go on to suffer and die um, as the little power that she had. She chose to go on to see the change through, to be a part of the revolution um, that Jesus would go on to live. Luke portrays Mary, again, not as this meek vessel um, that we kind of see her as today. She's powerful, she's intelligent, she's courageous. And only someone that's really profoundly familiar with the Hebrew scripture could have written the Magnificat. There are so many parallels um, with Hannah's song, which we find in 1 Samuel chapters 2, 1 through 10. I'm not going to read it because it's pretty long, um, but if you want to go and look at it, you can see that there are very similar themes. Um, both women are given a baby, and both women go on to praise God um, for this baby that's going to change the world, change their lives, change everything. And so Mary is being established here as a hero. Um, she's, again, he's saying, like, she's educated. She knows what she's signing up for. She's not just given this baby. Like, she's given the whole thing. She's signing up for revolution. She's signing up for power, for change. She's a part of it. It's intentional. She didn't say no. She could have said no. She chose to go along. And um, we don't, again, this is something that we don't know for sure if Mary actually sang this song or if this is something that Luke wrote and attributed to her. Um, but in any sense, it's, it gives her a lot of power and it paints her in a, such a marvelous, really beautiful light. Um, whoever wrote it. And Luke is intentional in giving it to her if he is the one that wrote it. So this song is made up of four stanzas. The first is a praise and rejoice for what God's doing. The second is about the character of God. The third uses past tense language to describe what happens in the future, which is um, actually pretty common in Hebrew, Hebrew scripture. Um, that's something that we see throughout um, well, well, all of scripture really. The fourth reiterates promises from God and that were given to the Jewish people. Um, meaning that, again, Mary knew the scripture and she's able to see the promises being fulfilled in this baby, this baby that she's holding in her body, this baby that she chose to carry. This song is a, a song about Mary or about God. Uh, it's really a meditation on the grace and mercy of God and the things that he's doing through this baby and through John and through Elizabeth and through Mary. The realization that Mary is being used to usher in something new that she, but she's no one. She says in verse 48, he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. 
she recognizes that this is much larger than herself. She recognizes that she's forgotten by society. She's really no one. She lives in a culture where women are given status based on their marriage. You're either recognized as your father's daughter or you're recognized as your husband's wife. And yet she's kind of in this in-between where she's engaged, but she's not married. She doesn't really have a place to belong. She's forgotten. And yet here she is, she's pregnant. This is not looking good for her. <laughs> um, and she sees the power in God choosing this person that's in between, this person that has nothing, this person that is forgotten by literally everyone. She sees the power in that choice and she chooses to buy into it. She continues to describe and go on about what it might mean for not just her and not just women, but for all marginalized communities throughout history. Um, this song has actually been banned in several countries um, because of how profound and really radical it is um, and it continues to be even to this day um, and how radical it was for her time and then on verse 49 she says it goes from generation to generation and we're still seeing that today obviously the third stanza tells us what's to come in the future um, but speaks as if it's already been done so just by the fact that she has this baby in her room all of these things are accomplished all of these tables have been turned um, it's a description of a reversal of social norms, um, the equalizing of power dynamics, right? So where there's this powerful, proud, and brought down. The powerful and the proud are brought down, and the humble are brought up. Um, it's an equalizing. It's a turning of tables. She's singing of liberation, liberation not just for herself in the midst of what's probably a pretty terrible situation, right? Um, but liberation for anyone who's ever felt like they could never get one step ahead, for anyone who's questioned their place in the world for anyone who's ever felt like they had nothing left to hope for. And she's singing a song of liberation for a people who have known nothing but oppression, turmoil, pain. She's entering this fully aware of what she's signing up for. And not only does she accept the invitation to carry the baby, she accepts everything that comes with it. The revolution, the turning of tables, the isolation, the fear, the victory, the ultimate death, the Messiah and everything that he stands for throughout his life. She wasn't just a body that housed a baby. She was a mother who taught him how to exist in the world. Just like we were taught to see um, what values to take into our adult lives by our parents, Jesus was taught those values by his mother, Mary. She was, Jesus would, would have done his work regardless of who his parents were. But we see here that Mary embodies those same values she stands for the same things. She taught Jesus what to stand for, what values to, to care about, how to stand for the meek and the mild, to be the voice for the voiceless, to care for those who are oppressed. She was a part of the revolution, not a revolution of violence, but a revolution of love. And she did so by being his mother, by teaching him everything that he would go on to share with the rest of the world. She's important to the story. Women have been pushed aside from the beginning of time. Even in Mary's time, she was forgotten. No one cared about her when she was this unmarried pregnant woman. But she's continued to be painted as powerful, as intentionally involved, as educated in the story. Um, she's not just a woman. She is part of the revolution. This revolution started with a woman revolution of love and she would teach her son how to live in the exact same way. So I set out to write this series to prove more to myself than to anyone else 
um, that women do have a place at the table, that women are included in the story of Jesus and everything that he was trying to do, um, a place to contribute and to serve and to lead, not just to sit down and be quiet, but to actually participate, to contribute, to be a part of. And we see here that Mary started the revolution just by saying yes. So may we go into this week and we recognize that we all have a place at the table, all of us, the marginalized, the forgotten, those that culture tells us aren't important, those who at best are forgotten, at worst are ridiculed and face pain and suffering day in and day out. May we know and we see that the people of the world tells us are aren't important, are not important. May we recognize that they are welcome at the table and may we appreciate what they have to offer because it might just change the world. Grace and peace be with you. This has been the Collective Church Podcast. We post episodes every week on Sundays. If you're interested in supporting our church, you can give at collectivechurch.net slash give. I hope you enjoyed listening.